It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we have a look at episodes of The Twilight Zone and beyond. Uh, this is Matt here. We have a guest today. Uh, I've heard her most recently on the Mission Log Prodigy podcast, and you can also find her on YouTube with the fantastic red shirt diaries. Hello, Ashley Victoria Robinson. Hello. Thank you for having me. I believe I've heard you say before the middle name is important. <laughs> it is. Um, Ashley Robinson is like a very, very common name. Uh, I think I went to university with five Ashley Robinsons and there's a WNBA player named Ashley Robinson and she's bigger than me and I don't want to fight her for SEL. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. See my name, you know, Matthew Comages doesn't seem that common, but I found a pro golf player, I think a firefighter in Delaware. So yeah, it, there are people with my name, which kind of surprises me. <laughs> yeah, my, my mom was like the most popular name for girls born between 1985 and 1997. That sounds like a win for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matthew, I think is uh, in the top three. I think John was number one, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know the life, you know what's up. <laughs> right. Well, I got the last name to throw people off. So <laughs> um, today's Twilight Zone we're taking a look at is the last flight um i'll start off just with a a touch of trivia here uh this is the first episode whose teleplay was written by richard matheson though rod serling had already adapted matheson's and when the sky was opened and third from the sun matheson will be writing a lot more for the show director william f claxton was a workhorse television director he was a good friend of actor michael landon and thus claxton directed dozens of episodes of bonanza and little house on the prairie Lieutenant Decker is played by Kenneth Hay. While this is probably his most notable screen appearance, he made a splash in London's West End playing Jimmy Porter in the play Look Back in Anger. Simon Scott takes on the role of Major Wilson. He had a long career taking on television character actor roles, television actor, character actor roles. Why is that hard to say? <laughs> she joined the cast of McHale's Baby and Trapper John M.D. Uh, General Wilson is Alexander Scorby, who made a notable film appearance as a mob boss, Frank Lang Lagana in Fritz Lang's The Big Heat. His resonant voice really made him explode as a voice actor, though. He recorded the entire Bible twice. <laughs> the excessive, yeah, that's a lot of work. I, 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 for a very short time in university, I did this thing where I would like read textbooks for the blind. So this isn't trivia, this is my personal experience. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, two weeks in just because you can't do anything. You, you're, you got to look at the book. You can't listen to music. You're talking and recording and your throat dries out in like 30 minutes. So I, I actually, you know, can appreciate people that can record books like that. <laughs> nice. Um, a little more in the trivia. The excessively named Air Vice Marshal Alexander McKay was played by Robert Warwick, who was a silent film matinee idol in the 1910s. 
He made the switch to sound relatively easily and appeared in several films directed by Preston Sturges. His later years were spent taking on aristocratic television roles. This one probably standing out as one of the most notable. Yeah, this one has a lot of actors, I guess, so uh, a lot to cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, I, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm emergency Zoom recording on my iPad today, so I'm going to try and flash the prologue on the screen for you and hope it works the first time. Uh, when you said look back at anger, I was uh, very impressed. That's an amazing show that I really, really like. Okay, that's good because for me, I'm like, well, I, did, I just thought David Bowie and Oasis look back in anger and, and don't look back in anger, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like look back in anger is like a PYT uh, beginning of like the theatrical movement in the West End. So I was like, oh, damn, that's a great role. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Because sometimes I'm like, well, I don't necessarily know what this is, but someone might, they might be interested. So, uh, yeah. See, there you go. Um, Point scored. I can see something, but there's no period at the end, so I don't know if I have the whole thing. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I guess the period didn't copy. You know, iPad, you're using your finger, and you tend to miss that part. So I did just watch it, though, so I was like, this looks correct to me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Witness Flight Lieutenant William Terrence Decker, Royal Flying Corps, returning from a patrol somewhere over France. The year is 1917. The problem is that the lieutenant is hopelessly lost. Lieutenant Decker will soon discover that a man can be lost, not only in terms of maps and miles, but also in time. And time in this case can be measured in eternities. That's lieutenant for all the Americans listening, not lieutenant, the way the word is actually pronounced. As a Commonwealth (laughs) citizen, everyone saying lieutenant made me very happy. (laughs) Oh, wow. I didn't even catch that. Okay. (laughs) So there there we go. We can add that to the trivia pile. Um, Now, when we were emailing you specific, well, I guess you took this out of the choices, but uh, this was the choice of about five, I think. So um, Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you have a, uh, your personal experience, how this one kind of sticks out. I like this. I knew what this episode was. Um, So I was like, that'll make this easier (laughs) because (laughs) I've watched a lot of Twilight Zone, but I've never watched them all in order, which I don't I don't know if you necessarily have to do um, unless you're interested in like the evolution of the production of the show. That's something that's really special about television made before. mm, I usually credit Star Trek Space Nine, but most people would credit Lost with um, introducing serialized storytelling. Um, So I had seen this episode before, so I felt like even if I couldn't watch it in the intervening times, which I did, I watched this today, um, I would be able to speak about it with some amount of authority. Um, but also I grew up in a military family. So anything that's uh, military or pseudo-military is kind of interesting to me. And I knew this episode had some solid, solid acting in it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find a Twilight Zone that has particularly bad acting. That's the thing. You might get a that's story true. that's completely duff, Um you know, or, or the twist is stupid, but uh, a lot of these, I mean, this one, I, it doesn't have a twist per se. It's just, it's kind of a time travel episode. Like, you know, um, the Mark Twain, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court sort of a uh, time travel, you know, the unexplained stuff. Mm-hmm. Very true. But um, I also, when I was looking at it, I was like, I don't think there's any of these with a Star Trek person in it. Cause if there was uh, if it was like one of the Shatner episodes was up on the list, I probably would have picked that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, wait, definitely waiting for those. And uh, George Takei's in one somewhere. So <laughs> yes, he plays a. He's very. I think he might be a teenager in that. He's a very young man in one of those. 
Yeah, um, I, I said in a few of these episodes, one of the reasons I'm between the podcast is I got the Blu-ray. I'm like, well, I actually do want to watch all of these. Well, if I podcast it, I certainly will. <laughs> That's uh, That was the impetus for me doing Redshirt Diaries. I was like, I've seen TOS, but I've never seen it all in order. So uh, initially it was just going to be like a review show kind of done through this character. And then we like made it full narrative. So I, I empathize with your thought process, my friend. <laughs> Rightio. But, um, and then the other thing is I, you know, it's, these are fun shows to watch at night. Like uh, when I'm going to bed, I might watch some of uh, an anthology show. Mm-hmm. The thing that keeps happening to us, keep falling asleep and missing what the whole point was. <laughs> that so is so funny. Next, I'll wake up the next morning. I'm like, okay. What? I, I'm just thinking because I recently, a few nights ago, I watched the Ray Bradbury theater that did have William Shatner. Uh-huh, and, um, uh-huh. I never, and I fell asleep before the end. I still don't know what the point of it was. <laughs> like, wait, did did they, did anyone get home? Who died? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, really, really. So, um, yeah, so that a warning to folks, uh, anthology shows like that may be a bad call when you're going to bed, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, some night galleries. I've, I, you know, I skipped ahead to watch some night galleries and had the, the same problem. But um, I do love night gallery. Uh, I think they do wilder things there. But, you know, uh, Twilight Zone walked, so night gallery could run right off yeah. the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And yeah, it's, it's like, well, I like that I'm seeing color with night gallery, but the, the black and uh-huh. white is so stark and good looking in, in uh, the original Twilight Zone. So <laughs> it's very evocative and it is, it's kind of astonishing when you watch it today and that's the power of film. And I think that's why stuff like French new wave and anything that Brigitte Bardot stars in like really holds up is uh, yeah, there'll be a little bit of grain maybe because of the transfer, maybe because the lighting wasn't perfect, but everything is so crisp. Like you can count people's fuzzy, fuzzy eyebrows in this episode. If you feel like it. Yeah, really? So I, you know, watching on Blu-ray is quite nice, even though my TV is not that big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is, the Twilight Zone's already done several of these kind of unexplained uh, time travel episodes. Uh, this one I do feel is like a little bit of a step up. Um, the time element, which is pre-Twilight Zone and walking mm-hmm. distance. We, walking distance is a well-regarded episode, but when we covered it here, we were like, Marty, ironically, the guy's name is Marty, like makes every <laughs> time travel mistake possible in that episode. Whereas the... Um, Oh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, am I saying it right? He, he's yes, pretty right. slick. I mean, you know, he flips out when he figures out what's going on, which is understandable. In general, he seems to make relatively smart choices. Yeah, and he only tells, I mean, they've done a really smart job narratively by sticking him with basically only two other officers, right? Like he doesn't emerge in a city. He comes onto this airbase and he's taken into protective custody pretty much immediately. Um but he kind of only tells the minimum number of people who need to know. And then he doesn't step on any lizards or butterflies. So he makes it, he makes it out. Okay. I think there's a bit of a logic leap when he hears the name of, uh, of Mac of his buddy who he abandoned for him to be like, I got to go back and save him. But I mean, he turns out to be right. So I guess, what do I know? (laughs) I was going to say, I was um, watching this last time just to tie it in with a bit of Trek. I was really kind of thinking of yesterday's uh, Enterprise a little mm-hmm. bit watching this. It's kind of the kind of the same idea. I need to go. I'm, I'm going to die going back, but I'll, I need to do it in this case just to save this one dude and not, you know, the entire um, civilization or federation or whatever. Right. But kind of the same idea. 
Yeah. So fun fact about yesterday's enterprise. I live like 20 minutes from where that was filmed. And then fun fact about uh, the last flight. Uh, they filmed a lot of this in, I saw looking at the Wikipedia that uh, un- unimpugned source, they shot a lot of this in San Bernardino, uh, which is also not too, too far from where I live, but it's where the first ever McDonald's was. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it definitely oh. looks like America. Like it's supposed to be France. I mean, thank God they made it an American base. It's supposed to be in Reem. Uh, <laughs> and the guy, it took me a second to figure out that they were supposed to be American because the major comes out and he's like, uh, don't you speak French? And I was like, homie, you're not speaking French. Like, how is anyone supposed to know where they are? Uh, as a, as an expat in Japan, I, I guess I can get that a little bit. What? You're you're speaking English? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I, I can see that a little bit. Um, speaking of which, if, if, you know, for folks that do come to Japan, yeah, McDonald's, it, it basically tastes the same. The sizes are a little smaller and um, they have a teriyaki burger. I don't think they sell that in the States. <laughs> Oh, even in I'm from Canada and even in Canada, like we have moderately different, like we can get the McLobster roll uh, where my mom comes from <laughs> in Canada. And uh, you can only get six chicken McNuggets instead of 10. So like that was a real it was a real adjustment for me to be like, I got 10, 10 nuggies instead of I only need six. Nobody needs 10. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I, I, I was a fat man about 10 years ago. So I haven't actually been in a McDonald's or drank a soda for geez since 2014. But in 2014, they had a special that was the groovy burger. And they have a 50s burger, 60s oh burger, my 70s God. burger. <laughs> <laughs> weirdly, weirdly it was the chicken versions that were really good the the uh, hamburger ones were not the best and they yeah, had like cheese for your fries and stuff so that that was mm-hmm. the best mcdonald's experience i ever had um so yeah for i don't know what i, I guess what pulp fiction told us about the french mcdonald's so <laughs> <laughs> french mcdonald's it's okay <laughs> yeah. the royale with cheese but yeah, yeah i remember um when I was in the States, some people from Japan visiting and be like, oh, I want to try McDonald's in the States. I'm like, yeah, you don't. <laughs> it's the same. Truly, but, true, truly, truly. You got to get, you got to get in and out burger or nothing. Yeah, I'm not from California, but uh, my dad had the t-shirt for years. He gets sent out to business trips and I, I guess he was uh, taken to the cult of King God burger. Um, it's it's the only thing people want when they come here. And I'm like, it's not even the best thing you can eat in California, but like, <laughs> okie dokie. <laughs> oh, the best, this is actually uh, on my Facebook. It's listed as my religion. There's a uh, place, uh, it's not, it's a town I used to live in, in Japan, but uh, they had a place called King God Burger and it lived up to its name. It was fantastic. Ooh, I love that. That's a very epic name. Okay. Thank it's, you everyone for coming to Fast Food Corner. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I want a hamburger today. I'll probably eat ramen, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, ramen. Could you do any better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they got into convenience stores where you can like kind of heat it up. It's like, it's not quite the ramen shop, but it's way better than the instant stuff. So. Oh, for nice. sure. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to the episode, I guess um, it is. <laughs> I guess one thing that is shocking is we think of World War One, we think of like the 50s, the military, and oh, and now we got stealth fighters. But it's like, okay, even yeah, between World War One and 59, there was like such advancement, like for him popping into that future. Yeah, it really does look like he just landed into, I guess, what the uh, conspiracy theorists would call a breakaway civilization or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it was also wild to watch this and be like 1917, to be watching this episode in 2022 is fully over a hundred years ago. Like this man lived and was, you know, if he's, if he's fighting 
if, if Terry, they call him Terry Decker, if he's fighting in the war in 1917, he was probably born in the eight, 1880s. Like he's coming up when Sherlock was rolling around London with the Irregulars. Uh, he is a, a man from a completely different time. So you think about the leap to, you know, 59. I kind of think of the 60s in my brain having uh, not been alive for any of them as being the beginning of the modern, what I think of to be the modern era. But even that is like, you know, 50 plus years ago from now. So it's funny to see somebody confronted with a modern society whereby for us it would be, you know, it's those are the the the, the good old days, I guess some people would say. <laughs> Yeah, just the uh, you know, the shift in mind. Recently, I don't know why, but I've, I've just gotten into reading like early 20th century history books. So I actually read one about um, you know, the teens in L.A. recently. And one I'm reading now is uh, the construction of the, the highway system and talking, mm-hmm. you know, how like how people would travel before and after they got certain amounts of systems. So, you know, if you were traveling in the teens, it was a wild ride on mostly dirt roads. Uh, by the 20s, they got some stoplights and traffic lights, um, you know, like Howard Johnson show up by the 30s. You know, we get the full on interstates by the 50s. But, you know, you and I, we never, you know, roads were always like obvious. You know, the idea that you can go exactly. somewhere else easily is, is easy. So for this guy, uh, you know, he's still in a, coming from a world where everything's kind of you know, discreet. They're not really connected or whatever, you know? And, and very, and very, I guess, analog is probably the, probably the best word for that. Although you talking about uh dirt roads, I was like, I've been to, I've been to the Midwest where some of those gravel roads are still living their best lives, connecting people from place to place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the, one of the stories in that book was uh, Eisenhower is a young man joining a, a military convoy that was going from Washington to Seattle. And it just, it took like, two months or something and you know they got stuck in the desert for a while oh no and uh, well obviously they didn't go full donner party everything worked out okay but yeah when you think about the the freeway system or even in um uh, i was gonna say the autobahn but that's fully germany that's not france at all (laughs) (laughs) but uh but even to fly when they did such a good job i'm not sure if they built a prop plane or if they used a real um antique plane but when um Lieutenant Decker gets out of the plane for the first time, you can see how much of the back section is just made out of canvas or cloth. And it seems terrifying to me that <laughs> that these stealth flyers would have been going up and um, what do you call dog fighting in in basically a tin, not even a tin can, but the part of it that's metal and that's an actual structure is so is so small. And there's a scene about halfway through the episode where he is, he's just had the realization that he has traveled in time and he's looking out of the airfield and there's a big jet and you can see the, the, ex- uh, the exhaust out the back of it. And I was like that, it would literally be like looking at Godzilla. Uh, it would be like looking at this hulking monster compared to the technology that you're used to. Yeah. I'm actually sitting here thinking, gee, we haven't actually moved uh, very far past that since 1959 as far as air travel i I mean i guess you know navigation's better with uh everything's computerized and you can land in a storm now but so that's good but yeah i'm like well the the basic tech is the same throw throw people into the sky with as much force as possible and hope that they can land again it seems to me to be pretty much how air travel works yeah yeah (laughs) 
been, it's been a little, well, it's been a little while since a lot of people have been on a plane, I guess, at this point, but. <laughs> yeah, really, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually, for me, it's, um, I'm not scared of flying. I just hate flying because I'm reasonably tall. <laughs> Oh, well, see, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm the opposite end. Like you can put me in coach and I'm like, this is fine. I can stretch out. <laughs> I don't like flying because um, I don't like the airport because I uh, like yourself. I live in a different country than where I was born. And so I was a resident of a place for a long time, but I have a passport for a different place and they love to throw extra security at you. <laughs> and you know, to bring it back to the episode, these are some real champagne problems compared to some of these characters who even in the even in the 50s would have done most of their flying in a truly professional capacity. Like I know I know there were airlines and there was uh, air travel, you know, in the mid um, 20th century and everything, but not the way there is now. Not the way where Delta's canceling 20,000 flights a day and ruining people's lives. Yeah, yeah. I just um, yeah, that's one of the reasons. I mean, well, the passports, why I just don't fly international for some time but uh, I did a couple of years ago we had a company trip to a smaller Okinawa island and leaving was really funny because they didn't care about security <laughs> oh if you're in a small air airport or if you're in a, a smaller country it is like the wild west but I'm usually flying out of LAX which is like one of the largest airports in the world so yeah, yeah. They like to mess with you. <laughs> I remember um, I landed in Jackson Hole, Wyoming once, and they at least like uh, pretended to have security. So, <laughs> oh, the the um, the airport where my uh, mother lives it has two terminals. One is leaving, and one is departing. It's a hallway. It's very small, and that's the same thing. Like I don't know the last time I had to take my shoes off when I was there. So bless them for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, the Okinawa. I was just partying. I was, I was actually going to security, drinking an adult beverage. <laughs> Try <trying laughs> that in an American airport. <laughs> well, okay, Truly, they're like, he seems, he seems fine. Everything's okay. <laughs> I'm wondering uh, the the veracity of the military people. We talk. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a pacifist guy. I'm like, hey, why don't we not? do any military stuff but <laughs> you know today <laughs> today like you're saying these these um flying aces of world war one were mm-hmm. at least on a uh, level of courage or insanity were off the charts you know oh By for 1959, sure <laughs> you, you still got those those you know right stuff you know uh, gonna be astronaut pilots out there right mm-hmm. um and I'm, I'm sure you have a few of those today but uh now i'm like well now the if you if he landed now he'd find a bunch of you know like guys on computers piloting drones or something <laughs> i mean that's that's true so i am uh i'm the daughter of a of a of a army officer and i'm uh i'm married to a, a veteran an ex-soldier and the thing that i hear a lot about the contemporary military is uh that if you're enlisted you're doing the things right you're uh you're blowing the things up and you're going on the patrols and you're building the bridges and I don't know, whatever else the military does. Uh, and if you are an officer, yeah, you're, you're a paper pusher, which like from the career standpoint, from the salary standpoint, that's what you want. But yeah, can you imagine if he uh, landed at an airbase in, um, I don't know, I'm just going to say Kuwait and someone's gonna be like, there's no airbase in Kuwait. I'm just picking a city. Uh, it would, yeah, it would be a lot of people coming out of, uh, you know, rooms where they were piloting drones or I'm sure code breaking and everyone running out with their laptops. <laughs> yeah, really. 
because um, yeah, I had a, a, actually a coworker about mm, six, seven years ago who who quit rather suddenly, but that's because the guy had like proper PTSD. He had done tours in Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan and nice guy, fun guy, but yeah, he just kind of like just, you know, snapped, not violently snapped, just like, well, it's, he wrote on his time card and left. I can't do this anymore. It was pretty weird. <laughs> Well, I mean, good for him for recognizing that. And we hope he got the help he needs and that he's doing great. I should hope so. Because, yeah, we were playing some music. We played music once or twice after that. But I think he moved on and uh, I lost contact with him. But I, I hope he, he was a nice guy. I hope he's doing Wait, well. You, but, don't, yeah. you don't keep up with everyone you've ever worked with? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I talk regularly with a guy I haven't worked with since 2004. So occasionally we meet people that, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of works nicely. Oh, truly. Yeah. <laughs> um, taking a look. To, oh yeah. And also just to, to, as his, his um, flying a status shows, we, we get a fantastic sh- uh, sucker punch as he's leaving the airbase. I, I always love a good sucker punch in film. <laughs> it's, it's not the worst punch I've seen, particularly for the era, because there can be some really, really bad fights. I mean, we're both Trekkies here, so like we've seen some really wide punches and some really wide that that classic Starfleet two-handed punch over the decades. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shatner loves to karate chop anybody who's coming in his way. <laughs> I, 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 although... I prefer myself the uh, Buck Rogers Buck Foo, also because it sounds mildly offensive. So <laughs> it does, but it's not right. It's kind of like um, one of my favorite memes that I've seen about uh, Peacemaker, the Peacemaker show, is uh, what is something that feels racist but isn't? And I'm like, yeah, that's a big vibe for that show. At least b- before we saw it, right? When we were just kind of meeting the character and seeing what it was all about. Oh, I should um, <clears throat> just throw out when I was saying I love sucker punches in films. I did not like the film Sucker Punch. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Zack Snyder just leaned over and was like, oh, they're talking about Sucker Punch. What? <laughs> I'll whisper this into the mic, though. But I like Watchmen. <laughs> <gasps> uh, well, then I'm sure he'll love that. You know, Watchmen is a movie that I think everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have come around on in uh, in recent years. I saw it. I saw it opening night IMAX, and I, I liked it from the get go. I, I actually liked the change at the end of the story. I thought it made more sense. So yeah, I, I was down with it. <laughs> I mean, Rorschach still gets obliterated, so I find that gratifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Haven't seen the TV show for that one though. But um, for this, um, I do like to ask two questions about each episode. Okay. And, uh, and I, I do find that the you know. It's, I always think I, the, uh, there's an obvious answer, and often the other person has a very different answer. So <laughs> the first one <laughs> is who exactly in this episode went into the Twilight Zone? Ooh, that's a good question, because I think at its face value, it's definitely Lieutenant Decker, because he's the one traveling. I also across time because he does get to go back. But I think the answer might actually be Mac because he is he is Schrodinger's pilot for the 30, I think it's 35 minutes uh, that this episode takes because the entire time that Decker is in 1959, his ex-partner is both alive and dead because he is dead in the reality wherein he doesn't return. And then he is alive because he is expected. So I think it might actually be Mac. That's a great question. That that kind of one makes you wonder if free will is uh, 
you know, out the window. <laughs> you know, I am someone who firmly believes in free will um, as a grown up person because I can't, I like just can't deal with the implications of if that's not true. So you saying that just gave me like real heebie jeebies. <laughs> but, uh, or we could just say, like, you know, like beyond free will, there's your moral center or whatever. And, and this guy, though he did run the first time, simply couldn't do it twice. Like, just intrinsic to his personality if you wanted to take more humanistic perspective. I did. I did actually really appreciate that we had that moment. At first, I thought it was a little sacrosanct and a little um, predictable where he was like, because I'm a coward. And I was like, okay, great. Like, of course he is. Um, But the idea that you can have a moment of fear or a moment of weakness, and that doesn't have to define you. I think that that's like a really lovely, I think that was a really lovely note to have this character arc through in this episode. I mean, how many of us wouldn't, you know, have a bit of a passing moment when facing, uh, when we're in, a, as you said, of canvas um, <laughs> wings <laughs> playing with, you know, guys and other canvas and playing shooting machine guns in our direction. That That's going to make you question what you're doing a little bit. Oh, I'm <laughs> telling you, anyone. like, don't, don't expect me to save anyone from anything. That's not my cat. He weighs 11 pounds. That's about as much as I can master. Like... I have I have tremendous amount of empathy for anyone who would be frightened in a uh, in the theater of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. So you know, I, but he, he again, it's kind of like the yesterday's Enterprise thing where they mm-hmm. got licked and oh, we don't want to go back. And but you kind of have to. I mean, you couldn't. You know, he wouldn't be able to live with himself if he was living in the future, having. Well, I don't know, would he, though? Because then the, the general does exist. <laughs> but but it's the interesting thing, because right before he takes off to go to go back through the white cloud, which ironically being shot in white in black and white, they all look white. Um, <laughs> but um, the major has the pistol to his head and he's like, if you take off, I'll shoot you. And Lieutenant Decker is willing to risk death. Like so strong is his conviction that he will go back and do the right thing. So. It's just, uh, man, the Twilight Zone is so good. <laughs> even, as you say, even the episodes that are a bit of like, a, maybe they're a little silly or maybe they don't stick the landing as well. The more you, the more time you spend deconstructing, you're like, wow, this was like, I just thought this was like a great fun episode. And then you sit and think about it. You're like, this is really good on multiple levels. Also, I made a point to watch this completely sober because I usually like to recommend people enjoy the Twilight Zone with intoxicants of their choice, uh, whatever that might be for wherever you live. But then you really think about it and you're like, wow, I got to work on my writing. I'm not this good. <laughs> and yeah, uh, of course, this is a, a Richard Masson one. So he, you know, had some time to write the script. But, you know, Rod, Rod Sterling basically just, I guess, sit by the pool, dictaphone into a, you know, a script every other day. <laughs> okay, and, and again, that's like a classic, like, writer, like Star Trek had a ton of that going on, but also like, you know, um, I think about Gene Kuhn telling these stories where he would just like, be on set all day doing rewrites, go home, take a bunch of speed, and then write the next week's episode. Work for so, the Beatles. <laughs> oh, yes, my sweet baby Beatles. I love them. So I just watched the, uh, not just, but I watched the nine-hour Peter Jackson, and you're like, oh, yeah, John's definitely on heroin in this episode. Yeah, oh, I just I did a podcast <laughs> a few mornings ago that came up, but uh, yeah, yep. watched it all. I actually have a copy of the casino guitar in my closet here. So, oh, nice. <laughs> so, I was watching the eight hours sitting there with Lennon's guitar in my hand. Mine looking older because I've had it for eight or nine years. Because <laughs> his still looks like it's like plywood, right? Where mine has aged a little bit because, well, it's older. <laughs> 
wait, what time? There's no time. We just learned that from this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should have sent it through a white cloud. Yeah, they should have called it just some like totally like, you know, he went through a rainbow cloud. <laughs> I don't know why they picked white because aren't most clouds white? <laughs> but yeah, they don't stand out. I'm looking at actually it's a cloudless day here, but uh, oh, there's a white cloud. OK, that, that one should send I mean, me through time. <laughs> I mean, perhaps that's the point is that maybe it could be any cloud. Um, maybe they picked white because in the in the haze of a dog fight with gunshots and a lot of gray and black smoke. I don't know. But the choice of these they specifically harp on a white cloud. You're like, OK, okay yeah, great. You're not wrong. <laughs> you're right. They, absolutely. They're not wrong. I guess no matter how the rent. They didn't render this episode. Um, no matter how it aired, it was always going to be a white cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move on to my second question. So I guess we're saying, though he dies, Decker would be one of the per- people making the trip through a Twilight Zone. And the Vice Admiral, mm-hmm. maybe he didn't mm-hmm. notice, but he kind of did. So let's keep it with those two. Uh, did they deserve their trip through the Twilight Zone? <laughs> interesting. Um, the word deserve is always very interesting to me because it sort of implies... Um, it implies like a moral judgment, right? Like, did this character deserve to die? Lost did that all the time. Boone didn't deserve to die. <laughs> um, and I guess it comes down to what you think those trips, if that's a punishment or if it's a reward, I tend to think of them as a punishment. And then if you pass the test, you you come through into your reward. Um, I can't pull the name of the episode and I apologize because someone will be screaming into their phone and ready to tweet me. But um, in the Shatner episode where, where him and his wife are stuck in the diner with the devil question machine. Nicotin. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> great, great episode. Love it. Um, he's super hot in it. We love. But they're they don't pass the test, right? They are they are stuck there and spoilers. Uh, they, sh- they shall be forever, it is implied. Um, I would say that if we're going with Decker, I think he did deserve the trip because he comes out, he comes out a hero. He goes in a coward and he comes out a hero. And in the in the classic rah-rah pre-mash war is hell revelation that we as a society dealing with narrative had, that's what we want. We want you to come out of a traumatic experience Um harder and better than you were before (laughs) um i think from max point of view perhaps not as the innocent person stuck in the swirling cloud but he didn't know so it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah i mean you know some of these episodes do kind of telegraph like this is a pitiful man a smelly man you know (laughs) he's got sweat stains you know (laughs) or uh or or he's the car salesman he's the used car salesman and we shot this episode live so it's a little fuzzier than we're used to (laughs) yeah no um we found uh, i i also do sci-fi films we just found you know accountant is always shorthand for someone has a boring life (laughs) yes yeah, yeah yeah uh they, but they never harp on the but profitable. There's no there's no Ferengi on the writing staff going, but what about the profit? <laughs> they, they need that. Yeah, that'd be fun to have <laughs> in your writing staff. What kind of ideas would you get, especially on a show that has nothing to do with track? <laughs> well, their moral code is very different. So it, honestly, it would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he made profit. So this person deserves to be you know lionized. Well, this person conning. is the hero. How much latinum been, was moved into their account? He's <laughs> been conning people for 15 years. So, <laughs> so they're like, yes, we admire him. <laughs> um, before I started doing all my podcasting, I also did psychedelic record reviews. I, I'd rate them for quality. And I don't like to rate the Twilight Zone for quality. 
But the other metric I applied to those was the tripometer. So I am applying those to the twilight zone. Um, zero being not trippy at all, five being super trippy. So you can Ooh. use decimal points if you'd like. So where would this go for you on the tripometer? I think I think it's fairly tame on the tripometer. Um my fav my favorite episode is the Howling Man. Um, so spoiler alerts, listener have already begged to come back for that one, uh, which, which and and I enjoy it because I think it's a real trip. And then just the uh, the transformation behind the pillars is just like a practical effect that's so good. Um, by contemporary standards, having you know probably consumed more media than Rod Serling ever had access to in his life. <laughs> I've seen this story. You know, I'm a comic book geek too, so like I've read a lot of versions of the story. I've I'm sure I've written versions of the story. So on the triple meter, I'll give it like a, 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 a honestly, I'm just gonna give it a one. It's pretty clean cut. It is set it in a, it's set in a very grounded reality. And uh, exactly what you think is going to happen happens, which doesn't mean it's bad. Tropes exist for a reason. It doesn't mean they're bad all the time. It just means that they're tropes. And and I think this has become a trope probably popularized by because uh, the, the Twilight Zone does other versions of this, as you've pointed out. And um, yeah, I don't think it's too trippy. Would you rate it any higher? I'd go a little higher. Just um, I'm willing to go with time travel, you know, that gives a couple points for me in general. I was thinking 2.5. Okay. If they had called it a, a rainbow cloud instead of a white cloud, I'd bump it up to three. <laughs> oh, on, honestly, like if this was a, let's make a Futurama joke instead of a Star Trek. If this was a Melvar style cloud or a, just for Prodigy, if this was like a zero style, which we couldn't have done based on the effects <laughs> of the time. But if it had been described as such, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably bump it up a little bit. But a white, like a white cloud. White cloud's on, not trippy. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. I can see them out my window now. Yes. Oh, the moon's there too. What do you know? Hey, nice. <laughs> Day I always love daytime moon. I feel like I'm getting away with something. <laughs> I agree. Daytime moon, highly underrated. Um, okay, so that's where we are. Are there any uh, other big points you want to throw out on this one uh, before we wrap it up today? Hmm. I think even though I have described this as fairly straightforward, uh, revisiting this was really enjoyable to me. And it's nice to see that even when the Twilight Zone is basically just doing what you expect it to do, it does it with such a plum. And um, I think that there are some modern shows that could learn a lot from this. Yeah. Name, no, naming no shows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't name Prodigy one of those shows, which uh, I, just to give you a chance to plug that one, I've, I've been listening to that one every week. So and watching Prodigy, of course, except I'm not this week. That's too bad. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, Star Trek Prodigy is very good. I don't know if I can recommend it to people under the auspices that if you like the Twilight Zone, you will like Star Trek <laughs> Prodigy. I don't think there's a one to one there. But I think if you like genre and science fiction, I would I would highly encourage people not to um much fall into the trap of it's a kid's show because it is truly so much more than that just being produced under the Nickelodeon banner and uh, if you thought anything I said here today was worth a damn then come and listen to um, Mission Log Prodigy that's me and Norm Lau and we basically just scream about how much we like the show for like an hour every week and sometimes I cry <laughs> um, I, I found when I recommend it to people I, I basically am like do you like Pixar <laughs> Ooh, that's good. They, I'm if they, stealing. If they that. say yeah, you can. If, if they say yes, I'm like you must watch Prodigy. If they say I'm not really into Pixar, I'm like uh, it might not be your thing. 
people there are people who aren't into Pixar. I'm just kidding. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people contain multitudes. We're all allowed to like what we like. Right. Although I, I have to say, I've um, I, I think I saw every Pixar release in in the past three years. I've probably fallen off that wagon a bit. But uh, also because my daughter's twelve, so she doesn't want to see any animated stuff anymore. <laughs> <gasps> She'll come back around. That's okay. I think for Pixar, she will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we? What if what have we watched recently? Um, she wanted to see horror, so we had fam- Sunday family viewings of The Shining and Alien. <laughs> okay, high key. I saw Alien last year for the first time, <laughs> and Aliens. The Shining and Alien are very good movies for, especially for starting out horror. Right? Like, I don't know how um, I don't know how emotionally strong your daughter is, but like, I could not have handled them at twelve. But I think you made two like very solid choices. Um, also because with Alien, like feminist icon Ridley, and then in Aliens, feminist icon the Alien Queen. <laughs> right. yeah, <sure. laughs> I'm I I have been pitching to um I've been pitching to Bloody Disgusting for like two years to like please let me write an article about how Mothra is a feminist icon, and they're like we don't want this, and I'm like please let me write it. <laughs> Get back to us, so we we can podcast that one if you want. <laughs> oh my, uh, p- please. My... Yeah, okay, I'll I'll get right back to you. My uh, my. My co-host for that one is, um, you know, Toho Godzilla obsessed. So <laughs> I have seen, I have seen every Godzilla movie and every Mothra movie. So uh, yes, we will do it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, as for this podcast, it's Time Enough Podcast. It's Time Enough Pod on Twitter. It's on Facebook. Finally, when you search it on Apple Podcasts, it actually shows up, which it didn't for a while. So um, yeah, I feel, I feel like yeah. it's a real podcast now. Yay. <laughs> Um, on Patreon, it's under the podcasting umbrella of Podcastio, Podcastius, Peep Show Reference, not a Harry Potter one. You'll find other <laughs> podcasts there with uh, Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary, where we talk about sci-fi films. And please come on, let's talk about Mothra. <laughs> um, I talk about weird caught experimental films on oral hygiene. And there are podcasts I'm not involved with that talk about Pokemon, Monster Hunter, and things like that. So, okay. But yeah, yeah. Thanks a whole ton for coming in today. Like, like this is, I haven't watched a purely bad episode of Twilight Zone yet. I, I've been told that Elegy is going to do that for me in a few weeks, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's not great. But it's not the nice thing about Twilight Zone is um, there's a, there's no trash. Like you're not going to watch anything and be like, that was a total waste of my time. Well, we're going to see. Uh, I, I feel like that's going to be again. This is one I haven't seen yet, but there's I can't remember the title, but there's one near the end of season two, which was kind of like supposed to be a backdoor pilot and has a laugh track. And I, oh, I've heard that yes. one is quite uh, I don't terrible know what in anybody's called. metric. Yeah, Mr. Something. But uh, yeah. We will we will do that one eventually, but yeah, I don't know if we'll <laughs> like it or not. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, be careful of all those white clouds out there, folks. <laughs> Saw ten thousand years perched upon a desert outpost of sand, awaiting the rain dream of tears in vast sweeps of the whirlwind land. Awoke in a long tunnel, 
high upon a floating disc, wrapped within a gauze of flannel, where waters of Eden do run brisk. Beware the Poganipper worlds, voices call out from far beyond. How haunting they do skull, mere low gods cloaked in Triassic fronds. Forces glue ball by eyes unseen, impel secretions from their glands. Waver behind a chartreuse screen, awaits the unruly teardrop of land. Now upon the weeping place, claimed by many and owned by none, banners fade under geology's trace, over where watercourses shift and run. Procession of clan colours over cobbles of the royal town, under the gaze of earls and kings, all cloaked in fine ermine gowns. Epochs of mortality's days, in liquid throat of the abyss, gazing to the broad water tay, to the viperine sting of siren's kiss. All both assemble thirty aside, two forces unmistakably brave. Eclipse surveil impossibly wide, for their kinspeople they'll kill to save. Seeking hopeful end to the feud, weapons ill-fated born fearfully sharp. After the battle, hours again renew, and memories of warriors live poets harp. Flowers from September's branch they fell, on green emerald of the cape. Dimensions tumble upon this shell, on rocks jagged we all will scrape. Descending, delving into the dark, a guide appears, and the guide I follow. An insight will arise, see death as another form of birth.